You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm here with my friends from all across the country. Over in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Can't believe I made it into the into the recording today, finally. <laughs> uh, down, not in Sumter, South Carolina, because he's not here today, unfortunately, but down in uh, Safety Harbor, Florida, we got Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations, all. And over in Trinity, Florida, we got Timothy Miller. It is Newport another Richard. beautiful day. It's a beautiful day in the FLA. That's what I was trying to say. Stop being well, hey guys, um, I'm glad you're here. We're, we're, we're in for a great show today. Um, we are going to sit down with Rebecca Hanna of Anchored Hope to talk about biblical counseling for your church. And um, we're going to have a little talk, a little throwback into our time in youth ministry and talk about whether or not incentives are good or not. But we're going to tie it to, you know, first chair conversations in terms of incentives. But but um, before we go any further, before I want to hear about how everyone's weekend were. I want to I want to say this in the front end. If you haven't done so, I want you. If you enjoy this podcast, I want you to do two things. I want you to share this with someone. Share this with a pastor friend. Go to a Facebook group. Another like if you're in a practically pastor Facebook group, great. But if you're in another Facebook group, any other Facebook group, even if it's not a pastor's Facebook group, it could be start like your own a, Facebook group. Start your own Facebook group. It could be like um, um, Star Wars Legos Facebook group. I don't care. I want you to share this podcast in that Facebook group. Say, hey, found this great podcast. You should check it out. Uh, get people who you feel like are, are, are good friends that might enjoy this podcast. Share it with a friend. And the second thing I want you to do Listen, is, even if it gets you kicked out of that Facebook group it, it'll it's be against worth their it. rules, do it it'll anyway. It. Sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. It's also not your podcast, so you can't get – promote you get called up for yeah. self promotion yeah, yeah, yeah but uh but yeah share this everywhere put it on your twitter account put it on your instagram put it everywhere but also i want you to do is um whether you're listening to this on spotify or apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening to this at um i would love for you to give us a review i i saw some reviews lately on our apple podcast and it was just so nice people are saying that guess what we're really practical just like our title so that, that's that's encouraging that we're following our namesake so with that being said uh I want to hear from you guys. How was your weekend? It was nice. I did not preach. Oh, who it preached was, for you? It's good, yeah. Who preached? I also you? will not be preaching this weekend. So two weeks off in a row. Pretty fun. Off, off Pretty for nice. you or off for the church? Heyo. No, heyo. Um, uh, off for me. Uh, yesterday, uh, the guy who is helping lead our new student ministry oh, uh, preached. Yeah. Did a good job. And then uh, next weekend, um, we've got uh, a, a couple of different people uh, kind of doing some different sharing. Um, one is a lady in our church who runs the European part of a ministry that trains women. So she's going to take the majority. She's going to take a, the biggest chunk of time. So what would be the sermon? Uh, she'll be preaching from uh, I don't remember what text she's preaching from, but it's kind of like a standalone thing. And then also we're going to do a little blessing for our kids because they start school um, a week from today. And then uh, then we're going to also have some um, folks who work internationally with um, Wycliffe Bible Translation. 
and they're going to be staying at my house. We're friends from Orlando, but they're staying with us for a few days and they're going to uh, take a 10 or 15 minute chunk of the service as well. So uh, yeah, didn't have to prep last week. Didn't have to prep this week. So I'm a little bit ahead of the game doing some, Sweet. been doing some strategic stuff that I don't spend as much time doing when I'm prepping for sermon preaching. So, so that was really good. Yeah. Our, our, our building was full. Uh, we had double digit kids, uh, which is great uh, for us. And then um, the, the, the one critique is that uh, uh, I don't know if you guys experience this, but there are times I feel like people who are musicians like things a little bit louder than people who are non-musicians. I don't know if that's the case with you guys, but I walked out of the, I, I led worship with uh, a singer and I walked out of the service thinking, man, like that, that, you know, finally it felt like a little bit of dynamics in the music. And then at lunch, the whole table was like, man, it was really loud in there today. So, and I may or may not have gotten a little defensive with my wife about it when she agreed with the loudness. And, uh, I may or may not, you know, have thought I'm a little, I'm a little grumpy, more grumpy than I should be. You know, you ever have those moments where you're like, wow, I'm grumpier than I think I yeah. need to be. So maybe I should go for a walk or something. Uh, <laughs> so what do you but, keep yeah. the DB at? Like, do you have a DB meter? We in, do have a DB meter. Um, where we're, we're I'm actually in the sound booth right now. We try to hit 85 max back here. Um, and then at the speakers, you know, front row, that'd put it around 90, maybe 92. Um, so that's a little, my preference, if it was just up to me, would be like 90 at the booth. Um, but 85. That's what we do. We're, we're, ni- we're 92 at the booth. Yeah. And I, one of the hard things, and if anybody's listening to this and you're like a solo pastor and you're fighting this battle or a worship pastor or something, also, you need to understand that, like, not everybody has the language to know how to describe what the discomfort is. So they will say loudness because that's like the only thing they know how to say when it might just be EQ. Because I guarantee you, if I sat in a room, I, my wife and I might do this experiment this week. I'm, I'm going to bring her in this room, sit her down and play a track at the same exact volume. And then like one EQ'd well and one EQ'd really badly. And guaranteed, she will think one is louder. The bad one is louder than the other one because the the way that you know, if you have a lot of mids going on in your mix, it can really sound unpleasing. And people or, will, especially or, older folks, will say oh, it was really loud because they don't know to say it was EQ'd bad. They don't even have that reference point. So that's on us. I mean, if you're a worship pastor, it's on you. If you're a senior pastor, it's on you a little bit too to understand enough to know how to deal with that stuff. So, what were you going to say, Frank? I was going to say EQ is huge. Like sometimes when I, we have one, one song guy who puts the drums a little bit louder than, yeah. than like everything else. And it can be jarring. Like if the drums are super loud and the guitars yeah. are soft, the, like they don't, those will say it's really loud when what they're actually saying is the drums are louder than everything else. Well, um, in church or, has, as a particular, yeah. we have, we're looking for something different than a concert. Like we're looking for as many people as possible to sing. So, like, we need to EQ and, and set volume and mix for that. Whereas a concert, you're looking for dynamics and, yeah. you know, and some of the, there's some crossover for sure, but it's a different goal. Jeff, you, you mentioned this, and if you haven't planned anything, that's fair. Um, you said you're going to do, like, a, a blessing for kids who are going yeah. back to school. Do, do you know what that's going to look like? Because I would love to do something like that in my church. Yeah, I'm basically just going to, I mean, we might have, we might have 10 kids. I'm going to invite them up on the, on the platform with me. Uh, I'm going to warrant, you know, the parents I've talked to, uh, the couple that I haven't gotten to talk to, I'll text them or something this week, but I'm just going to bring them up and they're all pretty little. We don't really have like middle school kids yet. Um, but the little ones and any of the teens that are happen to be here, I'm just going to have them come up and maybe ask them what school they're going to. 
And I'll get that information from their parents beforehand as well. So I'll have like little, maybe a cue card or something or a sheet with all their info. And um, that way I can kind of just, it's just a moment to get the kids in front of the congregation um, in a way that's not them screaming and running around in the background, you know. And then I'll just probably um, share a psalm, you know, one generation commends your works to the next. And just that idea of passing on our faith. And I'll probably uh, thank the children's ministry workers and the nursery workers in particular. And then we will pray for the kids. And I think I'm going to pray for the principals by name of each of the elementary schools that they represent. And that like, you know, and or maybe just do like faculty and staff and name the schools. And, you know, I, I'm thinking it's going to be maybe a seven minute segment. I mean, kids are wiggly, so. You know, I don't want to get them up front too much, but hey, Jeff. But yeah. Since since you're not preaching this week, can yeah. I give you an hour extra work to uh, <laughs> just make make the impact even huger, if you will? Would we love did it. this a, a few years ago because you know we're we're not much bigger in our kids ministry. I think we had 14 kids yesterday, and that was you know a, that was a good number for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. A few years ago the timing lined up so we could do like a back to school thing like that. And we made baseball card looking things with each kid. And oh, then, cool. so the, the senior adults or people that did not have a kid that was up there, we kind of assigned a kid, Hey, you are in charge of praying for this kid throughout the school year. Mm. And just that little refrigerator card. Um, if you're in a bigger context and you can pass it off on an admin to do even better. But the idea of for the kids who mom, dad are giving you the okay, to yeah. include the kid in what school they go to. Maybe you don't even do last names, but here's the kid, here's the grade, here's the school, and a little card that goes on a refrigerator and that kid's getting prayed for throughout the year. And it's also great because then that is a kid who a senior citizen or, or an empty nester knows the name of a kid that normally they wouldn't necessarily know in the church. Yeah, it's great. And that has, that was such a – You didn't do a picture though, right? It's just info we, on a card. No, we, we, we did a couple – you know, okay. but that was, that was a couple years ago, but still – if you say, "Hey, I've got this idea, Mom and Dad, can you send me a picture?" Everyone's got phones, you know. It, True. T- Ten years ago, oh, let me see if I can find a picture. Can I drop it off at church? Now you ask for, you ask for a picture, and you know, hang on thirteen seconds, got one. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Andrew, Tim, how was your week? Weekend. We had we had a great Sunday. This is a fantastic time of the year because I mean, everybody's back in town, so. The worship center felt full. It was fun because we we're still at one service. So I only had to preach one time, which I can just, I can give a different level of energy when we're only at one service, but knowing when we have two, I kind of have to, you know, leave something left in the tank for that second service. That way I can preach two services. So it's nice having the one selfishly. I'd love to stay at one, but with, with the amount of people we have back in town now, it's just probably not going to be feasible for us to stay at one. One thing we did do yesterday that was a ton of fun was we brought back the Office of Deacon to Lakeview. So we've, we've called them ministry team leaders for a while. We used to call them deacons formerly, but we decided as elders a few months ago, hey, we want to bring this office back. We're going to give some weight to it. So that's what we were able to do. So it was pretty cool. So we presented them to the congregation, kind of like a vetting process, so to speak, Um uh, Members of the congregation can let us know if they have any questions, thoughts, feedback. Uh, this week, I'll do some social media posting as well as an email blast with the, the picture and bio of each deacon candidate. And then we'll formally install them in a couple of weeks. So it's really cool. 
we didn't do anything that cool, but it was still an awesome Sunday because we had a lot of breakfast casserole after church. And the more breakfast casserole, the happier I am. So it was a it was 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 a good Sunday around here. But breakfast casserole is where it's at, dude. We're we're kind of in just a good season, like Tim said. School's back. It's been back. This is the second Sunday post back to school for us, and so the families are in town. We had um, our church is very involved with. It's called Alaska Christian College. It's more of like a word of life program than an actual college. Because by it's ninety five percent First Nations students that are coming out of these little village high schools, and so the program is a discipleship program slash get them academically ready to go to college. Since most of them coming out of out of high school aren't, and so we had some people from our church that were up there for thirteen weeks, uh, helping get the school ready for the upcoming school year. So they were back, so that was exciting. So it's just thirteen weeks straight, like they stayed up there. They they stayed up there. Wow. Um, the the guy drives a forklift, and they were building a new gym. And so he was, he was like, you know, hey, I you know, for, forget this. I'm going to go up for a ten day short term mission. I'm taking my whole summer, and and going up there. And so we we kind of got to celebrate that a little bit. So it's been it's been a good season, right now. Amazing. That's sweet. Uh, yesterday I preached and it was on the book of revelation. Have either of you ever preached, um, on the book of revelation or from a passage in revelation? I have not preached revelation, but my kids in my house are wondering when we're going to do the book of revelation. And I said, uh, we will, as soon as daddy listens to the Matt Chandler revelation <laughs> series, because from what I've heard, <laughs> yes. Matt Chandler no. hit a home run with that series. It's, 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 really it's phenomenal. You'll become a millennial, but it's phenomenal. It's for sure. It's for sure. It's for sure. Great. Um, I, uh, yeah, we, we're in this, we're, we're towards the end of this survey of the new Testament and, um, and, um, we're in revelation and I'm preaching two of the three weeks in revelation. And this first one was really tough because I had to do like an overview of revelation. And, um, and basically what I ended up doing is just kind of explaining what revelation is in terms of like how it's a letter, it's a prophecy and it's an apocalypse. And kind of like defining those out, I get to I did get to talk about the mark of the beast a little bit, and um, and that was fun. You mean the but, COVID um, vaccine? <laughs> I actually like specifically said something about how people think it's the COVID vaccine, but like contextually, that's impossible. And people got but, up and uh, left. I did see some people leave. I don't know if it was because of that <laughs> or because their kid was crying, but there people didn't. Well, leave. we're out of here. <laughs> well. I'm burying this church in the ground. <laughs> so, but, uh, no, I, I, w- I will say that, uh, I will say that, um, people, um, I, I started off the conversation by talking about how my only understanding of revelation when I was a kid was through the lens of left behind. And then, uh, and then as I got older, you know, I've tried to read it on my own. There's actually a really good book called, um, the, the lamb, the dragon and the throne, I think. Yeah. It's 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 really 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 good. Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, in, I would encourage everyone to read it because I think if if you teach on Revelation, it actually has like insanely amount of practical stuff with like what we're like not in like a, a eschatological way of like hey if you look around all this stuff is being fulfilled, but more of like Christian living. How are we to see the government? How are we to engage with one another in light of you know hardships like? It's insanely practical. You just have to get past all the weird images and numbers and stuff. But dragons and stuff. 
Yeah. That's but like anyways. a couple of weeks ago, I preached, uh, we were going through Acts, and we were uh, talking about the Ethiopian eunuch being converted. And at the end of that passage is like, uh, Philip just gets taken up by the Holy Spirit somewhere else. And I was like, hey, everyone, we're going to read this text, and a guy's basically going to get teleported, but we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> and, I, and there was audible like what oh man from the congregation <laughs> I, got, I got teleported we're not going to talk don't about worry that. about that did you talk <laughs> about uh, how <laughs> the way that eunuchs were treated uh translates into modern contexts now i did not well i should have watched good, your sermon first sorry because it gets really slippery oh oh really i was actually um like not that we need to talk about it right now, but in seminary, I just I just, I just finished a class all about. Um, there it is. What I'm, I'm being? I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm I, in my class right now. I just finished a class called like Critical Issues for Pastors, and it was literally just like half of it was just about homosexuality, transgenderism, and and Christianity, and then the other half was about like John Mark Comer. You need to you need to have Sabbath type of stuff, but like. In all the books I read about um, se- sexuality, it always like elevated the position of singleness and uses the conversation of eunuchs as like their example of like modern day celibate singles. In like all the books I read, and it's pretty fascinating. So now, be single a... and castrate yourself. <laughs> yeah. Wow, it's not what the books were implying, but I I do understand. The books were implying that if celibates were valid expressions of humanity in the culture that like jesus himself and you're saying you can be fully human and not have to be sexually active what that's that's what the books were implying impossible like you're like it's so freudian of us to think to be human is to be sexual and and uh and all these books are saying that's nonsense and don't say whatever you're thinking about right now yeah whatever you're thinking about because this joke is hovering way too close to the borders of where andrew can get this (laughs) and we're gonna have to put explicit on our podcast so let's just move on and uh talk about the practically pastor conference i'm just thinking about this dvd that i'm holding that a fairly new uh congregant asked me to watch uh, a couple weeks ago i haven't watched it's the uh the isaiah 19 judgment is their ancient mystery that foretells America's future. Uh, it's the number one Christian documentary of 2012. So I'm going to be watching this this week because I told someone <laughs> that I would. But uh, what about like when an elder brings you a uh, paper telling you that psychiatry is bad and you look at the back of it for five seconds and realize it's from Scientology? <laughs> and you're like, hey, bud, I want to research where you're getting your stuff from. I, uh, <laughs> I uh, I got I got Elrond is misunderstood. Got, He's really a nice guy. <laughs> I got a forty-page booklet about why the vaccine is like killing people, and <laughs> I was like, it was laminated. It was intense, dude. Anyways, oh, um, man. I was uh, gonna tell you to use it for kindling, but don't burn plastic. Don't burn plastic. Yeah, <laughs> the Presley Pastoring Conference is this February, February twentieth to the twenty-second. Over at the house that Tim Miller built. Just kidding. That's that's too much praise. That is not true. <laughs> it is at Lakeview Church, though, Frank. You're right. It is at Lakeview Church, and we are nearing the completion of the Student Center remodel. We've got a, a brand spanking new space. Dude, for saw us the carpet squares. Chef is. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I saw the Awana lines that you're putting on the ground, so we can play. Ooh, yeah. we, will, we will have some intense games. We at are the sparks for conference. Jesus, sparks to light the I have world. We will zero experience Jesus. whatsoever with Awana. So whenever I see those lines, I'm like, what cult is in here? <laughs> Dude, say what you we will. We do not Awanas. have those lines for the record. Awana is awesome. Say what I, you I'm about not Awanas. saying it's bad. I'm just saying I don't kids, understand anything kids about Kids who've it. gone through Awanas, which is basically bootleg Boy Scouts, but kids who've gone through Awanas have so much scripture memorized. And, like, to their credit, like, dude, I respect it. Cool. Like, I, I, I respect it. And they have some fun games. So The Eagle Scout um, level is the Timothy program. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. But what's like crazy, it, some people take it way too seriously. I got a resume two or three years ago oh, for a, a guy for a youth position that had the fact that he was in a Wana Timothy program. That was a joke, right? And I was like, joking. dude. And he listens to this to, podcast. <laughs> I, he might, but I was like, are you, are you for reals right now? Like, well, I didn't go to Bible college, but I was uh, in a Wana. I'm sure he's in his twenties. He doesn't have much to add to his resume. He was. It was, but so, still, I was, but I was like, yeah, imme- Im- immediately no, like, good for you, but <laughs> that's not okay. the culture I'm trying to set here the as a senior fact, pastor. The fact that you think that that should be on your resume terrifies me. Well, every time we talk about the Project Pastor Conference, we always have this slight detour about something else, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the fact that, yeah, what Tim said, the, the space is being renovated, so it's going to be brand new for us, it's going to be fun. Um, Old friends are coming back. New friends are entering in. We're looking for sponsors to make this event even better than the year before. So go to practicallypastoringconference.com. Sign up today. Bring a friend. Invite a friend. It's going to be great. And also, it's Florida in February. It's Our keynote sponsor than- this year is Awana. <laughs> Approved workmen hey. are not ashamed. Dude, if they can. Like, Awana's come that. on through, bro. Let's yeah, go. Come through. Practicallypastoringconference.com. Hey. Um, so, uh, we are going to talk about this gospel coalition article that came out, uh, today. Should you use incentives in youth ministry? It's written by a, um, Southern seminary graduate named Will Standridge, uh, down in Armorello, Texas, uh, and Amarillo. Oh, Armorello is better. Tomato, (laughs) potato. Um, so He's saying basically that gimmicks are bad. I mean, that's kind of, you can read it. Gimmicks make the essential trivial. Gimmicks can hurt lost people. Gimmicks create an unstable ministry culture. So I think all of us, whether you take a a 30, like, like, like one semester in Bible college on youth ministry, this is like a conversation that's always get brought up. Because in the 90s, it was the heyday of like. Dude, can we just talk about how easy our youth pastors had it? Back in the day, and like oh, our older so siblings, easy. dude, so easy. You literally could just order pizza, and a hundred kids would show up for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, you take for a real. sledgehammer for a uh, sledgehammer to a toilet. I still don't know what the point of that lesson was, but it was awesome. It you was just, awesome. Yeah. Kids were swallowing goldfish hammer. for no reason. I mean, it was drinking jugs li- of milk. alive. Yeah, dude, I did. I, was... I chugged a two liter of Mountain Dew, but the youth pastor did not tell me was there was a cayenne pepper inside the Mountain Dew. I curled <laughs> for 30 minutes. The entire youth group, they just, they just dude, handed that, me a you're trash. You're catching charges if you do that today. I but just, I just continually is... threw up the entire youth group. It was awesome. Last time I saw you with a hot pepper, you did great. Yeah, and sure. uh, and your parents were probably like, huh, Tim is a weak man for barfing. Like, like, like your parents yeah. were probably like so chill about it. Today, like, 
everyone would be getting sued. Like everyone's getting sued constantly all the time. Everyone's getting fired. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. But, you know, I think when I was in student ministry, I did do some incentives. It's funny because, like, one of the incentives this thing talked about was, like, shaving your head if you get people to show up. And I remember one time I did an incentive to shave my beard off completely as an incentive to get people to come to an event or something. And the student said, we'll invite our friends, but we don't want you to shave your beard. And I was like, hey. This is a win either way, so I don't know what we're talking about. So um, so I guess my question is this. It, first question is this. Is he right, or is he just an old curmudgeon that doesn't like fun? Let's, let's, let's get that out of the way. Yes. I think both. we need to clarify. No, no, no. We need to clarify. Their incentives and gimmicks, I would argue, are probably two different things. I, th- I think you can have some fun incentives without it coming across as gimmicky. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, break that down. What do you mean? Like, give us an example of an incentive that's not a gimmick. Um, frankly, a like crown you're... of righteousness that you get to hurl at Jesus's feet again. <laughs> Book of Revelation incentive. That is, you're, incentive. you're shaving. It's, you're shaving. It's not a thing. gimmick. Like, that to me, that's just a funny incentive. I don't see that as some like goofy gimmick that you have to do every single week to get kids to keep coming back. Like that's just a fun like. Yeah, what hey, would be could... like a gimmick? What would Ed, be like a Ed Young swinging like Tarzan on the stage again? I work yes. at Fellowship Church. Don't judge okay. me. Yeah, I can see. That. I would say that's that, gimmick. That is that is a gimmick. But because then because then you're but, going, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Like, how feeding, can I one up this gimmick next yeah, week yeah, to get yeah. more people to come back but as opposed feeding to feeding somebody time. or an element of fun? That's not that's not a gimmick. That's and it's funny that we say this this article is about youth ministry. We're just talking about Awana. Okay, so is goldfish and juice in preschool ministry? Is that a gimmick mm. too? Like define well, define what a gimmick is. Let's I take mean, it real far. Like, is it possible for something like really excellent music to become wow. a kind of a gimmick? If really comfortable chairs. Yeah. Mine are I, here. What, Great. Or- Lumbar support. Having good coffee, having good coffee. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that like, um, I think. Dang, and I just invited someone to church using that too. <laughs> well, I Incentive. mean, I think, about, I think like, that's okay. I think that's okay. yeah. Well, well, I forgot what big, 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 multi, you know, big, um, multi, uh, mega church pastor did it, but like they did a sex series, and then they had a bed on the on the on the stage the whole time. Ed Young that's... again, thank you. Ed Young. <laughs> okay. Hey, I will say this. Ed Young had like a full basketball court during like March of last year or something, uh, during March Madness. And like, that's because oh, he it's... really wants you to know that he played basketball at Florida State. He really wants <laughs> you to know that. Oh, it's a gimmick and it's cheesy, but that was an amazing stage design. Like, I just have to get that out of the way. Like, from a, from a production standpoint, that was cool. Should the church what about be doing loaves, that? What about loaves and fish? Is that a gimmick? Oh, stop. Okay. I don't Whoa. know. I'm just saying, I'm just, wow. these are my thoughts. These are my thoughts on this article. What about the joy set before you? Gimmick? There we go. <laughs> there you go. What about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Is that a gimmick? What about just heaven? Like, is heaven in the ins- like, Okay. All right. Uh, so, yeah, obviously- yeah, but that's, a, that is an excellent point. What, what yeah. about heaven? Like how is how is <laughs> what about it? What is what's this guy hates? What does this guy hate so much? I don't understand. Oh, man. If, I, by by all of these standards, is is eternal salvation a gimmick? No. Okay, I, I'll say this. Point two. I I have a very low threshold for anything that feels like a bait and switch. I will agree yeah, with absolutely. him. On this. Absolutely, absolutely. I hate it, and it might be because I came from that youth ministry culture that was like. 
oh guys we're gonna have a fun movie night and then of course halfway through like hey everyone now that you're a captive audience you know we're gonna do this weird thing where we do fire and brimstone and like bait and switch on you like that Super Bowl halftime a... shows, like Super Bowl halftime oh, shows, where I can't the... stand it, dude. Um, That's been an I... issue for five out of the five years I've been here. Somebody always, when we do the Super Bowl party, hey, are we going to watch the halftime show? Or are we going to? Can I bring you this DVD? And I'm like, no, dude. I invited people over to watch football, and not Coldplay. to trick them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I or, do think that... or cool Carl, or cool Carl, Coldplay yeah. or cool Carl. That's cool. Um, that third one, it creates an unsustainable ministry culture. One thing that can I be do true. Think, I think, um, I think that these gimmicks or incentives, uh, it, it, to me, it's not so much of like, is it a sin or not as much as, as, as is it, is it wise? Like my issue, my issue with, um, with, um, the Ed Young stuff with the stage design is not so much of like using that gimmick to be like a, a captive physical illustration, but more of is it wise use of your money to like put a whole basketball court on your stage? Like, could yeah. you just like preach about the same stuff, but not spend thousands of dollars into the stage? I'm sure they have a great argument. I don't really care. But my thing is, it's it, it they creates have a print fun- shop. Yeah, so it, they it create they they create all in house, and then they charge other churches, you know, below market rate to do the same stuff for them to subsidize the cost of their equipment. So sure. like, it's it's cheesy. But as someone who who has been there and seen behind the curtain, they're that is they're not wasting money on it. The basketball mm. hoops they have a sports ministry that those oh, are sure. used in. So you know everything that was used for that was something that they had access to. Their their printer. You go to Home Depot and you buy the four by eight sheet of plywood, and their printer can print onto plywood. So all of yeah, their stages cool. can be reused. Like it's it's well done. Again, the swinging like Tarzan. Um, which I, I don't think you'll ever see me swinging on a rope mid sermon, but you know, sure. never say never. I mean, but it was that for, it, for it my was church the, to do that, that would be foolish. Yeah. It was like the, um, the, um, what's his name? The guy in Oklahoma where he like made a pool. Shell. No, yeah. not Craig Rochelle. Oh. Um, uh, Tulsa, the Mike guy where like Mike he Todd. made a pool Mike Todd he made like a pool on his stage so he can like walk on water or something it's just like there's there's some like these illustrations are cool and i think they're like interesting and they're captivating but it's unsustainable because like we just talked about if you have to have these gimmicks to get people to keep coming back ultimately i don't think it's a wise use of funds but now do if, you think there's a distinction between cuz all these guys we're talking about are in adult sunday morning settings Sure. Is there a distinction for student ministry? I think the distinction I would make, no, not even the distinction. The, the 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 caution I would make is, are we? And this is like this is going to sound like I'm becoming one of those curmudgeon uh, people who just hate youth ministry. And I think everyone who knows me knows this, this isn't true. But like, I think that sometimes student ministries are more like fun than adult church. And we've created like unsustainable places for students to graduate from because they go from a youth ministry that's so like loud and rambunctious and silly and all these gimmicks and you're eating, you know, there's this food thrown at you every single time where now you're expected to go to Sunday morning service where the only time you eat food, unless you're at Jeff's church, is once a month and it's a little wafer and a little cup, right? So like 
it's an unsustainable thing where we're not actually preparing students to enter into what majority of their Christian experience is going to be. And that's why you, I, th- I mean, this is like maybe a well, piece I, of it, but it's why I think they get jaded to, in college. Take it to music. I mean, right. I, I spent yeah. my whole youth ministry like with drums and guitars and it was loud and it was fun. And then when you get into senior um, pastor ministry, it's like you have the age bracket that you are, accommodating goes from like a five year window to like 70 years. And so my wife and I, in our discussion yesterday, she was saying like, why do you always like it louder? And I was trying to communicate. Well, I feel like if it's about my, like if we're talking about preferences, I am consistently disappointed with the low volume every week. Like I, I constantly feel like it's so flat and like dead because it's not as loud as, I like it to be so like, how do we, it seems to me like in that conversation, the people who like it quieter always win. Like they, it always accommodates towards, well, we better quiet it down. And my question was like, at, at what point do, do the people who like loud music, like get that at church, that preference thing. So yeah, I think, you know, in student ministry to take it to the music thing, it's like, I spent all those years being formed into the habit of going to church and the music was like fun and loud. And then suddenly, like you're saying, Frank, I go to church and it's like, it can't be that because we have to, we have this huge different age bracket of people to kind of think about. And I'm not saying we're pandering. I'm not even, I mean, that can happen, Sure, but that's not what we're, I don't think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about accommodating a big group of people and trying to pastor a bunch of people. And you just can't do it the same way when the age range is so much bigger. I mean, that's just one factor, but. I think there are extremes on both ends of this discussion when it, when it comes to the gimmicks or incentives. Sure. I think one of the best and healthiest, maybe the most practical advice we could give is to is to not do ministry alone. Because what I would do, honestly, if I had an idea that I thought, man, this sounds a little off the wall, I would text you guys first. Honestly, I would say, hey, guys, does this is this gimmicky or is this OK? And you guys would probably provide some really honest feedback. And you might say, hey, you know, at Lakeview, that would that would actually be kind of fun. At my church, that would never work because it, it's a culture thing too, right? But yeah. I think there's there's so many pros to just having some friends in ministry where you can say, hey, I've got this idea. I don't want this to come off as a gimmick. What do you think? I mean, really, this is just a plug for the Practically Pastoring Conference. If you come Let's to the conference, you can Let's plug all of your gimmicky ideas with us. We will tell you <laughs> if they are gimmicky or And since we're a conference, holy. we can do gimmicks. And it's not the same we problem. Totally do good. Yeah, there will be a bed. So on we stage. have thirty signups by tomorrow. Frank will shave his beard, his eyebrows. Hey, a hundred. I'll shave eyebrows, beard, mustache, back, whatever you want me to shave. I will shave for 30? it. For well, by tomorrow. Yes, for by thirty. Tomorrow. I'm gonna do it for thirty. Yeah. For thirty. To- by tomorrow. No, no, just by tomorrow. Okay, like, by tomorrow. That means, that means people that are listening tonight are registering tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. I, I'll go. I'll go full bald. I'll go full Howie Mandel if if we get that many people for sure. The the two thoughts that I have from this article, and yeah, I I we're making him to be more of a curmudgeon than he is, and I get it. And you don't know what culture he's coming from, and you know what culture he's replacing. There's yeah. all there's all different reasons to have this argument, but the the first thought is, what if the churches just had a culture and a standard of excellence. Like, mm. is this pizza good pizza yeah. or we're not going to serve our kids bad pizza? Yeah. You know, what, you know, what, what if, 
if instead of, oh, here's the extra special thing, what if we just did good ministry, good programming, good teaching, good music? Yeah. Um, if it was not something that would be captivating and, and engaging, we didn't use it because uh, Howard Hendricks, one of his famous quotes is, it should be a sin to bore a child with God's wow. word. And so what if we just had a higher standard and it's not about the gimmicks and it's not about the gotcha or the incentive. It is about this is an act of worship and I'm doing this for the glory of God. And so it should be engaging and it should be captivating. And it, hey, Jesus fed people sometimes when they came to hear him preach. There's nothing wrong with pizza. There's nothing wrong with, you know, getting the taco 12 packs at Taco Bell or whatever it is. But if if we are going to slap Jesus's name on it, it cannot suck. So that should be. That should be number one. Number two, um, and this thought has just stuck with me. We're going through Acts as a church. Um, in the early church, the spiritually mature are always acquiescing to the non-essential yes. preferences of the spiritually immature. Oh, thank you. And I feel so, better now. So if— He's immature. Well, yes, <laughs> but that, that's what's become in so many churches— Hey, we want the people that like the loud music. We want the people that like yeah. the no. The strong the, always have to have to bend to the weak. It, to but, use Paul's language, yeah. Yes, that's exactly what Paul said. That's so, the call. yeah. So, shouldn't as a church, and sometimes that means maybe the more discipled people are the people that prefer contemporary worship music, and they want to show up in jeans. But because you have people that have not been discipled properly, you're going to need to sing a few hymns, and you're going to need to wear a tie, mm-hmm. or vice versa, the 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 other way around. The spiritually mature should acquiesce to the non-essential preferences of the spiritually immature. And if you think that that's a gimmick, well, then you're not reading the New Testament because Ooh, burn. You're, you're, you're missing out on something. If you think that making someone into the image of you and your preference is the goal because we are supposed yeah, to be making them into the image of Jesus and his disciple, that's the goal. And so that means that sometimes the music might have to be more or might have to be different than you prefer. Sometimes that means it might have to be warmer or colder in the worship center Mm. than you would like it to be. And that's not a gimmick. And that's not what this article is about. He's talking about youth ministry. And I get what he's saying. I, you know, we we were crapping all over it and it was fun, but I I understand (laughs) what he's saying. But, but the bigger issue is churches need to not put out crap. And churches need to spend as much time figuring out the audience that God has called them to as they do figuring out what the scripture says. Exegete the audience, and it, that's not a gimmick. You know, Andrew, I think this is a dots connecting for me that maybe aren't connected, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, this to me kind of goes like the, the way that some youth ministries are done where it's kind of gimmicky and that. It, that kind of, to me, sort of uh, plays into that really unhealthy thing where it's like the youth pastor and the youth ministry against the world or against the rest of the church. And they're constantly like, oh, we can't do anything fun because of the old people here. And sometimes I like to remind our students, like, look, you got to remember, like the old people here are funding your youth pastor and the yeah. space that you meet in and the pizza that you get. So, like, they're not your enemy. And, um, you know, it, Andrew, what you were saying reminded me, I, I can't remember where I heard this from. I think I've said it before, but uh, there's this idea I heard a pastor say once that a mature Christian is easily edified. Uh, and I think yeah. that's a really good thing to keep in mind. And and that's the goal for our students. We like should a, put that on a t-shirt. I love that. Yeah. When, when, you know, when a, 
in an ideal world, when a, when a high schooler comes out of their student ministry into adult ministry in the church, um, you know, they would be on their way to being easily edified as part of that body uh, because of the way that student ministry, which means pastors, it's on us to disciple the guys leading student ministry and spend time with them and cast our vision to them and make sure that they understand what we're what we're trying to be about so that it's not like this shock these students showing up in our adult ministry every year and we're like what planet are they from well they're from your student ministry and if you're out of touch with it like that's what's going to happen so you have a responsibility there as well i i really don't want to come across as tooting my own horn but this is a conversation my wife and i had last night um so our youth guy left in march and i've taken over the student ministry and we really need to you know hurry up and figure out what and it's the next 500 kids now yeah, no, but, uh, but we, we need to figure out what that's going to be uh, going forward. But yesterday during our awesome fellowship hall breakfast casserole time, my wife was talking to one of the moms who has a couple of kids in the youth group. And she said something to my wife, like, you know, I know it's extra work and I know we need to get the, the right person, but I am so glad that Andrew's in there with the kids and the kids are really loving getting to know their pastor. And I was like excited but also a little bit heartbroken because my job is to pastor the church, not to mm-hmm. pastor the people that are not children and not youth group, but the the whole church. The senior pastor or whatever your title is, you know, if you are a a pastor of the church, I get that different people are going to have different responsibilities and different roles. But one way to make sure that the us against the world mentality isn't there in student ministry is for the students in the church to know their pastor. Mm. And yeah. To when you know your pastor and you can understand, hey, this is the vision for the church. Here's how we're why we're going to do things a little bit different when there's just you know the however many of us here in this one age group. If the students know and respect their pastor, or not, not I would say no one respect is such a weird word there. But if the students have a good relationship with the senior pastor, they're not going to feel like it's gimmicky when Sunday morning doesn't look the same as Wednesday night. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Um, hey, Will, if you're listening to this, uh, you're always welcome <laughs> to, to hit us up. I hope I hope you understand. We agree with your article. We just wanted to and Southern you. Seminary. We're taking sponsorships to the Practically Dude. Pastoring Conference. Well, that's Southern. <laughs> Brought to you by the Gospel Coalition. Yes. <laughs> yeah, TGC. Um, I don't think I. You know, I think uh, I think uh, you should. Uh, you know, be us, give us a sponsorship. All right. With that being said, um, we, we're gonna we're gonna dive into a conversation with Rebecca Hanna, who is um, the executive director over at um, Anchored Hope, which is an online biblical counseling solution for churches. We have a great conversation. You're gonna love it. Uh, you're gonna want to listen to it. And I think you may want to consider even bringing Anchored Hope into your church as a resource. You can hear all about it. Um, Check this out. We'll be right. We'll be. We'll be right back. Well, I'm here with Rebecca Hanna, the executive director of Anchored Hope, an online biblical counseling solution for churches and for ministries to be able to get folks um, the counseling they need. Rebecca, I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I, let's just start off by, by uh, addressing uh, the, the, the listeners. Can you please share with us kind of more about who you are and, and what Anchored Hope is all about? Sure. 
So I am the executive director. I like to think of myself as the builder of Anchored Hope. Anchored Hope is a fairly new ministry. Um, we started right before COVID and uh COVID actually did us good because we are a virtual platform for counseling. So we'd like to say that we're biblically grounded and clinically informed. Uh, we currently have about 20 counselors on our staff uh, and we interview people all the time. But the point of Anchored Hope is to help people who are hurting anytime, anywhere uh, to better understand of God's promises. So we have reputable biblical counselors uh, that have master's degrees and certifications uh, that are all across the world, actually. We have some people uh, even in South America. So uh, we do virtual counseling. Uh, so I lead this team. They are incredible. Uh, they are, uh, they, they all love Jesus. And uh, we um, just have a great group of counselors that want to seek to continue to grow and to continue to uh, learn as we all do, but also to serve the church. So our job is to come alongside the local church. So I'm building the vision for Anchored Hope. Um, it's what my job is uh, to, to dream and to build uh, and to grow. So that's what I do. That's some of what I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, um, I've said before on this podcast that we use Anchored Hope. We love it. It's It's been like the easiest solution to get um, our people, the help they need. And we can talk more about that later as we talk about how does Anchor Hope partner with churches. But but um, last week on the podcast, we had read this Christianity Today article that said that younger pastors were more likely, specifically younger pastors, were more likely to struggle with mental illness than older ones. And so um, we, as the, the guys kind of wrestled with the conversation, is it is this a conversation simply because the vocabulary around mental health is more accessible and, and less stigmatized. And that's why we see younger pastors kind of having more understanding of this, or is it, is there something else? Is younger pastors um, struggling more than say their older counterparts? And I just was curious to you in, in your experience working with these churches, not only counseling um, congregants, but also probably having pastors themselves yeah. use anger hope as a tool what have you seen? Do you, do you find this data to be true? What, what do you think about this article and kind of like um, what it's what's kind of saying to, to, to us? Yeah, you know, I'm speaking out of experience. So I haven't done the research that uh, the author of that, that article has done. Um, but I, I probably have more experience than most, obviously. I think there are two really outstanding factors as I just process it real time here. And the first is the internet. Honestly, the social media, uh, the dynamics there of, you know, the kids growing up now have more access to more things. And it creates uh, a discontent that people without the Internet didn't have. And so we, we actually have a, a harder battle towards contentment uh, than anybody else in a past generation. That's not to say other generations didn't have other issues because they did. Uh, and we are really good at pointing out. Uh, issues in past generations, we're really bad at fixing our own issues in our own generations. So, I, you know, I think even of the pornography issue, obviously that's a, a huge issue. Um, but what I'm seeing now is more of a struggle with women uh, and younger women coming up because they have access where before they wouldn't have access and men had had, had more access. So, um, and there's the social media aspect to it of uh, pressures and expectations and things there. So I think that's one piece to it. The other piece is that I think counseling is becoming more of a norm in our cultural landscape. So you have all these different factors. 
just recent factors, even the pandemic or horrific tragedies, shootings, those kinds of things. Then you have social media uh, and then you have, you know, our favorite Olympic athletes talking about therapy on commercials. So they're normalizing it, which can be a positive thing. So I think a younger generation obviously is more willing to speak and be open, which is what they're trying to do is fix that past generation that were not as open. So I think in the past, you wouldn't have known as much. Uh, and now we're not as afraid to speak up uh, as much. So I think there's a lot of different dynamics at play. There's not just one dynamic at play, but I think it's created a landscape where counseling isn't uh, just something that you don't speak of or afraid of. Although I see people, you know, I see people respond that way now. But I do think even in media, social media, in communities, it's becoming the norm. Um, you know, I, I I would say in in the 35 years I've been alive, I've seen the church go from stigmatizing mental health and the need of therapy to People have said stuff like, you know, the reason why you have anxiety is because you have unchecked sin or the reason why you have depression is because you're not reading your Bible enough and praying enough to, to now we're seeing a shift more towards not only the understanding of a more nuanced perspective of mental health, but, but also the, uh, the churches are hiring counselors to be on staff at their church. So, so mm-hmm. you've seen kind of like a, a shift here. So the, to, to say that uh, the relationship between the church and the conversation of mental health has been shaky, to say the least, are you optimistic that the church is turning a corner on this conversation? As you said, that like younger, younger evangelicals are trying to fix the wrongs and the mistakes of their older evangelicals. Are you, are you seeing an optimistic thing or are you seeing that like there's still parts of this country that stigmatize mental health in a negative way? Like what have you been seeing in this area? Yeah, I mean, I hope that we, Acred Hope is a solution to that problem. Uh, I mean, I do see a problem, and our hope is to be a solution to that problem. There also, you got to understand there there are bubbles, right? Evangelical is a bubble, and then you have counseling, which is a bubble, and then you have uh, inside the counseling, there are other different bubbles. Uh, and I think perspective on counseling requires sober, sober-mindedness. Uh, our perspective on it requires sober-mindedness. So, you know, part of the social media thing is that we get extreme voices on this conversation and you either are go all secular or you go all, you know, Bible, nothing else. And so it, it creates these um, disparity between opinions when in reality, there are faithful, loving, godly, biblically grounded, clinically informed counselors that do exist. Uh, but they're not like screaming about it on Twitter because they're too busy helping people. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think it is getting better. Um, but I do see that there are places, it's just like anything else. Uh, we see places where there needs to be work and um, there are counselors who don't need to be counselors, just like there's pastors who don't need to be count- pastors or doctors who don't need to be doctors. Uh, so, but we don't discredit an entire category because there's one person uh, that didn't, you know, go up to the standard. So that kind of answers your question, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that answers the question great. Can I get a? Uh, can I ask you a very specific, like, practical question I've seen brought up in this area? Um, so, so I would say ninety. Uh, that's maybe too high. Maybe eighty percent of my pastoral counseling is with couples, mm-hmm. and you know, married couples who are on the brink of divorce, or or they're just having issues, and, and um, 
And as I've talked to other pastors, so sometimes I'll, you know, I'm sure maybe, I'm sure counselors do this. Like they'll talk to another counselor and be like, I'm not going to give you names, but I have a person that's dealing with this. How would you see this? Right. And so if I've talked to other pastors about certain, certain situations that I'm in. And one thing that I've, I've noticed is, is when I say, Hey, I think I'm going to recommend a couple to go to marriage therapy or to get counseling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes pastors like take a step back and be like, are you sure you want to do that? And like they're nervous about that, and the and the and the thought process is, like from what I've heard, and this is like one, one or two pastors have told me this. They said my concern is some counselors are just there to help walk them out of a marriage, as opposed to help them stay in the marriage. Mm-hmm. And then I, my pushback has always been like, like you just said, not every counselor is great. Like you know, like not how every pastor should be a pastor. Not every counselor should be a counselor. And. And and I know that like even within the evangelical church, like marriage and divorce is is kind of nuanced depending on what denomination and, and kind of their different convictions. But but I've I've seen that as if if most of our pastoral care things tend to be around at least in my context, marriage and divorce and relationships, and there's this hesitancy to hand them over to a counselor because they're afraid that the counselor is just going to help the spouse walk out of that marriage, like. How, what could I do in that situation? Because I don't want to have the hesitancy or concern. Like, have you heard of those hesitancies or concerns? Or or how have you encouraged pastors to, like, say, you can trust us. We're not going to, like, ruin marriages in your church. Like, what, what, what would you say to that? Uh, I mean, I've, I've heard counselors do that. So I, I don't think that the concern is actually not valid. I just don't think it's true across the board. So you have to know, I I actually appreciate a pastor who has hesitancy, not because I don't believe in counseling, obviously, (laughs) but because you are, if you are the shepherd of the flock and you care about what's happening to them and they're going to go to counseling where you're doing deep soul work, you should absolutely know who's doing that for your people or or you should want to know, right? Or you should have to have some kind of understanding of uh, this is a reputable place that is not going to tell you to get a divorce for nothing. Um, but also like, they're not going to pretend like it's your fault if you are a victim, right? Like you've got to be able to have some kind of, uh, understanding that I can send marriage counseling issues there. I can send victims there. I can send tired moms there, whatever it might be, someone who has cancer or someone who's grieving. And at the end of the day, they're going to get counsel from God's word, but also going to be informed enough to understand how to actually care for those people in a way that's really practical. So. You know, the pastor needs to know who the people are going to. So if you have a counselor who is okay with divorce because someone's unhappy, well, then we'd all be divorced, right? Like if you've been married for longer than 24 hours, there's a point where you get unhappy. (laughs) And so if that's the goal of your counselees, then you're going to let everybody get a divorce or not let, but you know, you're going to recommend that. So, you know, nobody wants anybody to be divorced. Like who wants, Mm. who wants that? Uh, but so you do need to understand who the counselors are. Uh, I think that's super important. So I, I don't, I don't fault pastors for having that hesitancy. I just think that it also, again, requires sober mindedness. So you can't, uh, pastors do counseling. It's just, they do this like meta counseling, right? Where whatever I'm saying from the pulpit is absolutely impacting someone's heart and soul and mind. It should be right. It's like, it's like, a thousand birds in one stone. So it's just the big picture kind of counseling, but to actually be able to delve into somebody's actual issues and say, okay, now how do I apply this to my life? I'm getting in the car and I'm in a fight with my spouse or now I'm yelling at my kids or 
I've got to make this decision at work. How does what was actually preached from the pulpit on Sunday morning affect my life? Is it affecting my life? And is there someone walking with me to affect that? And then maybe I have a, a diagnosed mental illness, or then maybe I have this one specific sin struggle, or then maybe I have some kind of trauma, right? And that's just piles upon piles upon piles. If the, if the pastor doesn't have time to to delve into that individually, then you should have counseling as a resource if you actually want the word to be effective from the pulpit. So I, you've got to understand counseling can should be useful, uh, but there's not nothing's comprehensive, right? Not one. I need the preaching of the word from from the pulpit, and then I need godly community, and then I need you know to be in the word, and then maybe I need a counselor to help me apply those in specific specific ways. So. I, I don't fault pastors for having hesitation, but they sure. need to follow through and figure out, okay, if I'm going to have this hesitation, then let me do the hard work of figuring out who those counselors are that I can't trust. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, well, well, then let's ask another really practical question. What can the average church do in regards to caring for those in the, in the congregation regarding mental health? Like the... I, 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 this study is like really this this number might be really old, but you know it's something like ninety percent of churches in America are less than a hundred people. So like most churches in America don't have the resources to have someone on staff that's a professional yeah. counselor yeah. Or, or things like that. But but what are some like real practical ways for the average pastor to care for the needs of mental health and not disregard it as over spiritualizing it or or ignoring it? What can they do? Yeah. So we don't need to make this an Angered Hope commercial, but this is why we exist, <laughs> right? Like I have been in ministry for uh, almost 20 years. Now I'm aging myself, but I've been on staff at churches. I've been on staff at ministries. Uh, I've served, you know, I don't even know how many church plants and big churches and small churches. And it never fails that having a counselor on staff is one complicated uh, and two, they can, it doesn't matter what size the church is. They can never handle all of the stuff coming at them. They just can't. So the, the whole point and the whole idea behind Anchor Hope is that you can serve anybody anywhere at any time. So whether it's a small congregation that can't afford to hire a counselor, which is why we exist, uh, they can hop on Anchor Hope or there are other reputable places, right? Like you just got to do your homework again, or maybe there's a local place uh, in town that you can join arms with and, you know, like it, refer people there. Now here's, I, I use that word refer. Okay. And I want to talk about that word a little bit, but anchored hope, the whole point of anchored hope is that you're not referring out that we're coming inside the church and joining your church and coming alongside and becoming a part of your staff in a sense. So whether you're a big church that can't afford to hire 25 counselors or you're a small church that, you know, one person can't handle everything. The idea behind Anchored Hope is that you have a whole staff of reputable biblical counselors that can handle the overflow of what you have. Uh, and I think that these, you know, people, ministries like Anchored Hope are going to exist more and more and more. Um, but the point of it is that it's a solution and a resource to the local body, regardless of what the local body is. Uh, so the answer to your question is find a place like Anchored Hope or find a local place if the virtual uh, piece to you makes you uncomfortable and you want to meet people in person. Um, we do have our counselors do uh, meet some of their people in person at their churches. Um, you know, it's that it's like redeeming the Internet one counseling session at a time for me. Uh, it's a good use of this virtual life that we have all learned to live. So I'm rambling, but the point, you know, the solution is something like Anchored Hope. That is what they could do. 
and you know, it's, I, I love, 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 love meeting church staff. Uh, when we have a partner and I'm able to fly to their church and sit with their staff and their pastors, it's like my favorite part of my job because I get to see real time the impact that Anchor Dope's having. Oh my goodness, it's so fun. <laughs> so yeah, that's a long answer. But I mean, the answer is to find something like Anchor Dope uh, and really engage with whatever organization it is. So don't take it for face value. Call them up and get to know who the, who the people actually are. Mm. I know for us, um, you flew out uh, to see us and 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 talk to our staff. And I know in uh, in recent months, I mean, to have anchored hope as a as a as a resource for our people has been a huge relief for um, uh, us as pastors in terms of the care. Because oftentimes it's like, um, you know, I've talked about this in the show before. It's like my biggest insecurity as a pastor is to not be able to care for the needs of the people in my congregation because some of their needs may be like above my experience level or my understanding of how I can care for them and then be able to refer them to a counselor and say, hey, like I can tell you what the Bible says, but these people can tie it to your practical needs based on your mental health, based on your habits and the patterns in your life. Like Mm -hmm. they can do something because they're been, they're qualified and trained in something that I'm not qualified and trained in. And it's been a huge resource, but even more so at my campus, or sorry, my church, um, it's been neat to see that we as a staff has been using Anchored Hope. And like, like we've gone through some pretty hard transitions the past couple months. And 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 at our church, I believe that um, whatever the cost it is for counseling through Anchored Hope is, like our church pays the whole balance for any staff member to be able to go through counseling. And I know that's like a an extremely beautiful privilege and a unique thing that is like an opportunity for our church, but it's been something that that I've always said, when you have like staff or volunteers that are being cared for and loved, they're going to serve your church in a way better way. Uh-huh. I think we as a staff who are, who are not just being, pa- like there's like, eight pastors on our staff. Everyone has access to a pastor on staff, but to be able to have access to some kind of like qualified counseling has been a gigantic blessing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, pastors and staff are the front line of defense. And so if you're not being cared for, then you can't care for the people, regardless of what your job, whether it's admin or whether it's, you know, personal care, you need to be cared for first, which we know about our counselors. So we have a director of counselor development, our staff and his number one job, the most important thing he does is care for our, for our counselors. Uh, so one of the, the most important things in the culture for Anchored Hope is, are my counselors being cared for? Uh, and that's something that's super important. In the same way at a church, is your staff and pastors being cared for? No. That's great. So let me just ask the, the, this final question. Um, and I might ask some follow-up questions as if, like, I didn't know these answers to help a- ask some questions that some folks might have. Sure. So what does a church partnership look like with Anchored Hope? Um, to bring Anchored Hope into their, as you said, the church staff to be a resource for their people? Yeah, we have a myriad of levels of church partnership. And we do that because we we don't want to have one kind of church partnership. Uh, we want to see what the DNA and culture of your church is. And we want to fit that mold of whatever it is that you're specifically needing. So we have churches that just know us. And when they have a counseling case, uh, they will call or refer us, or they have a counselor specifically that they work with all the way to uh, churches that do subsidize and act as insurance for their members. Uh, and they will invoice them at the end of the month. And then we have um, 
churches that buy uh, counseling in bulk. They'll buy $10,000 of counseling up front and we just check it off. And at the end of the month, they see what their balance is and we do it that way. So there's a whole lot of different ways there. Um, one of the things that we are beginning to roll out is uh, advocacy. So we've built out a, a training program for how to find people in your congregation that want to serve other people who are getting counseling. So we're teaching pastors how to, to raise up advocates inside of their body to care for people going through counseling. So that means that if someone's getting counseling, they also have an advocate with them and the advocate walks with them through the week. They can actually attend the counseling with them. Uh, the counseling can be done at the church. So they just put up the TV or the computer and they do virtual counseling together. It can be in their small group, in their home. Uh, it can be wherever it is they need to do that. Uh, and then that advocate walks through with them on a daily basis of uh, remember what the counselor said or have we done our homework? Let's do it together. Or, what does that look like? And just keeping them accountable and walking with them. So that's one one way. Like that's like a super intense dedication of of how you're going to care for people, which is what we want, right? Um, but that's obviously hard for everybody. So we are rolling that out, out October 1st um, to, and we have a couple of churches that are already on board with that. So there, you, you can partner as little or as much as is the need for the, for the body. So whatever the body needs is what we can provide. That's good. Um, what kind of like relationship does the church pastors have with Anchored Hope as you guys are caring for the congregants. So like, you know, I, I understand that there's something that should be confidential. There's some things that would be helpful for a, a pastor to know. Um, and because this is biblical counseling, if, if I send someone, like let's say I send a married couple who's on the brick of divorce to you all, is there access to conversations that I can have with a counselor? Or is that like only if the, if the couple wants the pastor to know, how does that work out? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have to be really careful with that because confidentiality is key uh, and it's right. really super important to us. So that's actually up to the counselee. Now, if the church is paying for that counseling, they do have a record that that person is getting counseling. So it's not completely sure. anonymous, but they know that that, counsel, that, yeah. that congregant is getting help. So and there's a, a waiver that the counselee signs that says, uh, yes, it's okay for you to talk to my pastor or no, it's not okay. Uh, and we take that very seriously. So that's an option for the counselee um, to be able to say, yeah, that's okay. Or no, it's not okay. We don't want someone who's afraid of their life not being confidential to not get counseling. Right. So it's a better for us to say confidentiality is key and that's our standard. Uh, and then we can go above or below that depending on what the counselee is okay with. Yeah. So, you know, back in that conversation when we had about how churches have had a really weird relationship with counseling, therapy, mental health, and things like that, um, one thing that I still think is very much an awkward conversation is, like, um, medication. Um, and and I've heard everybody say that, like, okay, go to therapy, but don't ever touch any kind of medication when it regards to, to mental health because of a myriad of reasons. Um, and I guess my question is, is, is when it comes to that kind of stuff, it does can anchor hope prescribe medication? Is that something that like, if a person actually needs medication for their mental health, they would have to go somewhere else. What, what, what does the church play in all that? Like that, that's a, that's a question that there's clearly some, sometimes where I care for people who I'm like, man, I think your depression might be more than just you being sad. And I don't know if, if just like, you know, going for a walk is going to be the solution in this situation, but I'm not a professional counselor to know the answer to this. So what does, how does Acre Hope fit in that conversation of mental health? 
Yeah, there's two major things that I should say. First, uh, we will never diagnose anybody. Anchor Hope is not here to diagnose. <clears throat> it's actually illegal for us to diagnose uh, like that. Uh, but also, nobody on our staff is a medical professional. Now, just they can be clinically informed, but nobody is a doctor. Uh, right. Nobody is a doctor of medicine, <laughs> a medical doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have PhDs. Um, but, you know, the well, we got to figure out which, which one of the million things I could say about this. Medicine is not the enemy. Uh, right. I have seen people that have literally, and, and no one should be prescribing uh, medical care in terms of mental illness, except for a psychiatrist. So I really don't even recommend a family doctor being able to prescribe you anxiety meds. You really should see a psychiatrist for that. Um, yeah. And know that everything is overprescribed. Like, mm. it, it, and that's not a <clears throat> Christian worldview perspective. That is a secular, like everybody understands that most everything is overprescribed. Um, everything is overdiagnosed. And most diagnosis, you can't actually scientifically pinpoint. Like a thyroid problem, we know for sure is real, right? Like there are things that are real, scientific, hardcore, blood tests, those kinds of things. And then there's a whole lot of stuff that's just hypothesis and theory. That doesn't mean that it's not true. It just means that there's a question mark there that, you know, may or may not be. There's just, it just is what it is. Once you start prescribing and taking medication, then you are absolutely inf influencing your makeup and your body, right? So you need a medical doctor to walk with you through that. And oftentimes that medicine alleviates whatever symptoms you're having so you can actually do the work of soul care. So I've seen it work really beautifully where you can't get out of bed in the morning or you haven't slept in days or whatever that might be. And I'm going, you have to go see a psychiatrist. Like you need to take your wife to the ER right now. Like, I can't meet with you until this is done. And even coming back later, and recently I even got some feedback from a counselor, and she said, I, I wouldn't have made it if you, haven't, if you had not said that that's what I needed to do. So, and now, beautiful, right? She's doing all the things that she wants to be doing, and she has joy, and she's back where we want her to be, um, but she needed that medication to help her get there. Um, medication is not the enemy. Uh, so... At Anchored Hope, we will never tell anyone to take medication. We will never tell anyone to get off medication. Uh, that is something that's only your, your psychiatrist should be doing. Um, can it be helpful? Yes. Can it be detrimental? Absolutely. So is it the same across for every person? No, that, that would be crazy to think that it is. Uh, so that's just, you know, even people with other diagnoses, like medical diagnosis, nobody takes the same medicine. So, it you know, it's just a different... It's a whole different world. That's one of those things where uh, you have really loud, extreme opinions and voices that are heard all of the time when really like the middle ground and the middle road is where most people sit and nobody's actually talking about it. So the answer to that is medication is not the enemy. Uh, can it be bad? Yes. Can it be great? Praise the Lord. Yes, it can. So yeah. that I like what you said. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I like what you said, what you said. Sometimes medication can be the thing that's needed so you can actually speak into their life and help them get where they need to be for some actual soul care. There, there's a person who I care for who um, who was having panic attacks and and their psychiatrist recommended some medication to like to calm her down. And um, from that point on, our pastoral care meetings were like going great. Like they like, it really, really helped her. And it was like, you know, it's, uh, you know, my own personal perspective on a medication has evolved 
actual caring for people has caused me to evolve on my on my understanding of medication yeah. because I can see how it helps people, yeah. and and it gives me the um, the ability to actually help speak to someone in clarity. That's really really good. Um, one more question, and then I want to know like how we can find you. Um, my question is uh, minors. So uh, I, I'm a former youth pastor. Uh, we have uh, a you know a youth ministry with with dozens and dozens of teenagers. Every church I know has a youth ministry, and kind of like what we talked about earlier, it's like this younger generation has the greatest vocabulary of mental health than any previous generation I had, I've ever known. I had 12 year olds being like, this isn't good for me. It's, it's, it's kind of affecting my anxiety. And I'm like, I didn't know what the word anxiety was when I was 12. So this is, this is, it's, it's, it's kind of incredible. So when it comes to counseling for minors, is that something that Anchor Hope offers? Is it the kind of the same process as, our adult uh, congregants, or is there uh, some other things that have to be done for our minors to get care? Yeah, that's a great question. So we do have a 30-minute adolescence uh, option on the website. So when you sign up for a session, uh, most of the sessions you can do 50, I think it's 90 minutes and 120 minutes. Don't quote me on that. But we do have a 30-minute adolescent. The reason we did that is because we found you have different kids are going to respond differently to to the virtual setup. Uh, You know, Everyone thinks it's normal. My kids think it's normal. We've all done COVID in school or school and COVID, right? So they think it's normal. Um, So yeah, I've seen the benefits of it actually because they don't have to leave and go to an office and feel ostracized because mom's taking me to the doctor because I'm worried about something. But instead they have this person that they meet with and they know how to virtually connect because they're already doing it with, you know, 20 of their closest friends or a hundred of their closest TikTok, whatever it might be. So they are able to connect with a counselor virtually in their home. I've had college students who like call me from their dorm room in their bed. And I'm like, well, let's sit up during the counseling session. Maybe (laughs) I'm glad you're relaxed, but you know, let's kind of sit up at your desk and interact. But no, I mean, those have been some of my favorite. If they are under 18, they, the parent um, does have to, to be a part of that initial care and the waiver. If they are under 18 and they're still in their home, we do uh, recommend that the parents are also receiving some kind of care. They're at home with their kid. They see what's happening. And so they need uh, guidance and understanding of how, you know, parent, I'm a mom. Uh, and I know that my kids struggles are for my sanctification, no matter what, all the time. It's for their sanctification too. But if I have an angry kid or if I have a disobedient kid, or if I have a kid that's struggling or with anxiety, my first defense is to go to the Lord myself. What does that look like in my own relationship? How am I responding? Because if I'm not in, if I'm not indwelling in God's spirit and in the word and doing what I need to do in my relationship with the Lord, then I'm not going to respond to my kids well, uh, at least long term, right? So I know that um, we that it's not required for them to come to counseling, but definitely a touch point of how are you parenting? How are you responding? How are you praying with them? Uh, what do you see? And just getting feedback from, that doesn't mean that they, you know, I've had to have conversations with adolescents of, hey, I'm not going to share everything with your mom and dad. Like, this is a, a safe place. It's confidential. Um, if there's something that's going to help you, then I'll let you know that I'm going to share that with your mom. Um, but I'm going to tell you first. And so that that's kind of precarious, but um, I've, I've seen it work out really well. So there are pros there because kids are used to having a virtual presence. Yeah. That's great. This is so good. Um, Rebecca, how can we find you? How can we, uh, uh, whether figure out more information about Anchored Hope, get connected about maybe our, uh, a church partnering with you? How can we uh, get that next step to you? Yes. 
So I'm looking up what our Instagram is because I don't even know, but we have one. <laughs> uh, praise God, we have someone who helps us with that. So it's uh, Instagram is Anchored Hope Virtual, at Instagram Hope Virtual. Our website is anchoredhope.co, so .co. Uh, my email address, if I'm happy for people to email me, it's Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H, at biblicalcounseling.online. Love it. Well, I, all this information will be in the show notes of the podcast, but thank you so much for giving us your time. And I just pray that um, in the same way we have seen this literally benefit my, my congregants in a, in a huge way, it's benefited our staff in a huge way. I hope other churches can take a, a minimum, take this conversation and think more critically about how they can care for their people with biblical counseling, but maybe even uh, connect with Anchored Hope and, and see how it can help in the church. But thank you so much for, for uh, sparing some time with us today. Awesome. Thanks, Frank. All right, guys. Well, I am looking forward for us to getting getting together again, but also I'm very much looking forward to the Practically Pastoring Conference, February 20th to the 22nd. It's going to be here before we know it. Um, and yeah, if we get 30 signups in 24 hours, I will I will go full. Uh, Mr. Dang, clean, Mr. Up. Clean. I was going to say um, Hedberg, but what's the guy's name from um, from that meth show? Um, Walter White, yeah, Walter Heisenberg. White, Heisenberg, Heisenberg, Heisenberg. That's, Heisenberg. That that's, that's the meth you know. show you're talking about. I just Breaking can't get into bad. it. It's hard for me to get to Breaking oh, Bad because I'm not into crystal meth. So, um, Same. so it's hard. You know, I mean, I'm into zombies, so I'm into the other show, Walking Dead. But so no. the other AMC show you're into. <laughs> I actually went to Disney Channel movies, zombies. Oh, dude, they're great, dude. Yeah, hey, the hey, music, some of the music those. is pretty good. For real yeah, though, it is. and though. Okay, <laughs> listen. Hey, and those of you, those of us with little kids, can we talk about Bluey season three, dude? So I mean, good. we were binging it last week. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> I want to be bandit. I have no kids, but I've watched the zo- I have a bandit t-shirt. The, the, the zombie, uh, the zombie trilogy, and um, that's some of the wokest stuff I've ever seen. But it's so good, <laughs> for real. <It's- laughs> I have no teenage really daughters, but I've watched the Kissing Booth trilogy, so it's fine. <laughs> hey all right let's uh let's bring this back in friendly pastor it's always when we talk about the conference we get derailed so far yeah, com. we can't wait if you want to enjoy this type of derailment then you're gonna love the friendly pastor conference <laughs> all right well like i said earlier in the show um if you're still listening please share this with a friend rate and review all that kind of stuff join our facebook group we're on facebook just search for practically pastoring and uh um follow us on instagram So with that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. This is Practically Pastoring. See you up. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.